Count money, man. Money, Stack man. riches. Trying to try told him I'm a beast, bud. What's up, gang? Welcome back to another episode of the Grindcast. Get ready. It's a new day, and I got my man. We have Pastor Stephen Chandler in the house uh, down there in, in Ravens country, down there in, in, in Maryland, soon to come your way, PG County. Get ready for an absolute beast uh, in and out of the church. Stephen Chandler is getting ready to build a, a church in PG County. Can't wait to hear all about it. You've uh, Even in a short period of time in the last couple of years, I've known you. I've watched your growth uh in in your expansion with union right it's it's union church and how, how many churches church, right? do you have currently right now so there's currently three locations in the maryland area and then we're opening our fourth uh february 6th coming up in just a few weeks february so, 6th and the fourth the fourth one that's in pg county pg county we're coming okay. down dc here we All go right. dc coming your way we got friends i know i got listeners on here in, in that area they educated me on that on that area that's why i think i surprised you i think that is that is known as as the in america i think that's the uh is it the wealthiest african-american uh community in the state or in the region or in the, yeah, in the country it's, it, it's it's top two probably for the last 10 plus years so it, it's been number one or number two for the last 10 years of wealthiest african-american community so it, it's it. a great place love it love it they're gonna love you they're gonna love you. I'm excited for you. I'm gonna come down there and visit. I got to visit the uh, the Columbia, the Columbia Church, yeah, yeah. and it was it was rocking. And uh, you had us. Man. You had you hosted Perm and I, and and uh, he brought us in. You know, we we got the the, the presidential treatment because we knew you, and we got front row. And Perm Perm don't take them glasses off whether he's uh, whether he's going to heaven or or uh, going to church to get get some of the Lord. Perm had his, his uh, sunglasses on in church, and and uh, we was we was vibing in there with you, man. And so why why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started as a pastor? I know some of the story, but I'm going to learn a lot more, you know, today with you. I believe yeah, yeah. What, was your dad a pastor? Yep. So my dad pastored, man. He pastored longer than I've been alive. Probably 37 years he's been a pastor. So he pastored a church uh, for about 15 years. And then in 2010, to make a long story short, my mom was battling cancer. My dad had a business on the side and he's just like, man, this is, this is a big season right now. And I feel like it's time to pass the church on to you, Stephen. I was 23. I was single and I was like, never been to seminary. So I I'd grown up in church, grown up in a ministry family, but never been a senior pastor, you know, just not your typical candidate for being the next senior pastor, but it was God's will. Our board of trustees voted me in and I became a senior pastor January 31st, 2011, Wow! which this year makes 10 years. Um, so we connected with an organization that really coaches you through planting a church from scratch. There was about 50 people in the church at the time. So I went to them. I said, we've been open for a few years, but I think this looks like a church plant or a brand new church to me. What would it look like for us to kind of relaunch. So we spent about nine months um, kind of rebranding. So we changed the name of the church. We uh, completely renovated the interior. We got rid of our three-piece suits and our alligator shoes and threw on some jeans and, and some t-shirts and got a little bit more casual and added some smoke and some lights, trying to make it look like a Snoop Dogg concert. So we, 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 we did the best we could to keep Jesus and to keep the presence of God, but to make it more relevant 
uh, you know, to our generation. So under that new name, we relaunched it as a brand new church in September of 2011. We had 331 people show that first Sunday. So we went from 50 to 331 uh, over the next eight weeks. And this is my favorite part of the story over the next eight weeks. And I always say this had nothing to do with God. It was my expert leadership. I grew that church from 331 people to 70 people in eight weeks. <laughs> and I'm like, man, and by, by the end of this year, we're going to be the fastest closing church in the history of America. This is not looking good. Big culture shift. Later, big culture I, shift. Get, yeah, well, big culture shift, but also later I learned that that was kind of just normal, that whatever you launched with, you have a lot of well-wishers, family that comes in from out of town and all that, and you'll probably retain about 50% of that. Okay. So by the end of the first year, we were 150 people. Second year, 250. Third year, 350. And we just grew, I mean, real slow. I thought we were going to be 1,000 after year one. So it was just kind of slow grind type of deal. Seven years in, we're 750 people. Wow. And, um, I lo- I'm loving this. That's There's so much, pop- so much in this. I can't wait to get to it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. seven no, years in, so anyway, you're at 700, 700 people. How many years in? Seven years in? Seven years. Okay. Seven years. So that's really when it popped. And uh, it doubled every year since then for the last three years. And we went from about 700 members to right now, there's probably about 4,500 members uh, just in the last three years. And it's been uh, it's been a roller coaster, to say the least. That's, wow. the, that's a drive-by. Wow. Amazing. What, what do you think? Man, there's a lot in that. So the first is, you know, there's probably, there's a difference between the alligator shoes and the hoodies and the smoke. Yep. And, and so there's a little bit of a, all right, we're going to change the culture up a little bit. So there's probably some lessons in there that you've learned that, that you could teach, teach some folks. And then your, your ambition as a young man, you know, coming out and in your mind, probably thinking, you know, we're going to go from 150 people to a thousand people, you know, overnight, we're yeah. going to be at 2000 people overnight. And, and it's a seven year, you know, journey in that process. What would you say that, that you can give to people that you learned you know, in that, in that beginning phase and in that seven year process, because building a church is, is similar. And, and we got listeners in all different walks of life. We got professional mixed martial artists and athletes and entrepreneurs and, yeah. and church folk and gangsters. We got a bunch of folks uh, uh, listening to the grind cast. Come on now. I love the gangsters. Let's do it. Yeah. But uh, let, let's talk about the smoke and the jeans and the hoodies for a second. Similar to your industry, people have a preconceived idea of what church is. And for the typical person that does not go to church, their idea of church is it's going to be long, it's going to be boring, and they're going to tell me how horrible a person I am. And I'm like, you know, I don't got to go to church for that. I can know I'm a bad person at home. I don't need to, you know, go through all the exercises just for that. So we found that if we don't do something to instantly tell people this is not what you think church is that will lose them before they even come through the door. Like probably even in your industry with insurance, people probably think, Oh, you only need insurance when you're like just about to die. Like that's the only time you need to even think about it. So half of your work is just re-educating people on what it is. And for us, we're like, man, we got to help 
a 24 year old to understand that man church has something to offer you that will transform your entire life. And it's not just for your grandma or your uncle or whatever. So when people come in, they saw a pastor at that time that was 24 jeans and a hoodie, they're completely caught off guard because it's not what they would expect from a church. And now I have your attention. At least you're listening. And I got about 60 minutes to convince you that this is what you need in your life that's going to change everything for you. Love it. Love it. Yeah, very similar to us. You know, we, uh, I remember, you know, now we've been around a while, so people are used to us. But when I was first starting out as a business owner, I was one of the younger ones. I was 24 years old and shifted that culture also from, you know, people think insurance, it's like really quiet and tight and you got to wear a suit. And I changed that culture to having a little bit of music and having dress down days and you can come in casual and, you know, be in a hoodie and, and still uh, protect and serve people and build an organization. And, and from there, so, so you went from, from that to a, a, a seven year process of going, yeah. you know, from where you were to 700 people. Talk to me about that. Cause that's kind of like building a business, just building a business for, and, and with, with uh, Jesus, you know, so yeah. that, that process of going from where you were to, to 700 people on that journey, what was in your mind? How did you handle it? Didn't go as fast as you thought it was going to go and grow in the first year and those expectations as a young person with all the ambition, how did you handle that? What did you learn from that in that journey? Man, it was crazy. I thought we were going to be a thousand people after like year one. So I'm expecting a thousand. I'm looking at 150 and I'm like, boy, this is not good (laughs) at all. And then for seven years, I mean, just slow, slow growth. And uh, I mean, it was humbling. It was really, it started off with the, hey, you're not as good as you think you are and that you have a lot to learn and you have a lot to um, just grow and develop it. Um, There was about a two-year period from year three to year five that we did not grow at all. We hit about 400 and then we just stalled out for two years straight. And I'm talking about thoughts of quitting, thoughts of maybe I don't have what it took. So I really had to conquer kind of just that inner conversation of, Hey, are you called to do this or not? Is, is this what God's called you to do? And are you doing it to hit your goals? Are you doing it because man, this is what I'm supposed to do and I'm just not going to quit. And then really the biggest thing that I learned when we had a church of 150, it was a church of 150 because I was a leader of 150. And if I wanted 300 people, I had to double my leadership ability. And if I wanted 600, I had to double my leadership ability. Uh, There's a crazy interview, bro. You got to watch it. It's between Kobe Bryant and Nick Saban, uh, coach of Alabama. You catch it on YouTube. Love them both. Can you jump that? I mean, two of the two beasts. Anyway, Kobe goes rookie year. He's not getting any playing time on the Lakers. And he says his whole family says, man, you need to demand a trade. You don't deserve this. They're treating you wrong. Kobe said, no, I need to get better. Because Mm. if I get better, they can't help but play me. And if I'm not any better, then they don't need to play me. And I think that's really what it is, is sometimes we want to blame the economy. We want to blame our community. We want to blame where we are, blah, 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 blah. And the reality is, hey, somebody else figured it out. Somebody else is winning in the exact same place where you said you can't win. So the bottom line is the harsh reality is, man, we just got to get better. We got to be better leaders, better communicators, better visionaries. Yep. If, if you own the losses, 
then you'll you'll get to winning eventually. If you own the losses, you'll get to winning eventually. What what do you what do you think you did to start to raise your leadership? So you said, well, I took it on on me that if I wanted a church of a thousand, I wanted to go from one fifty to three hundred. It wasn't just that; I had to grow myself in order to yeah. handle all that. Was there anything specific other than going through the the natural process of experience? Is is there anything that you that you think you did to raise your your leadership level? Absolutely. So I preached a message about three weeks ago, and the kind of the big phrase from the message is, you can't have what you can't see. And if you can't see it, you'll never be able to attain it. So from day one to where I am today, I would always find somebody that was two or three steps ahead of me, and I would study every inch of their life. So I went out 150 people, I would get around a pastor that had a church of 300 or 500. And I'm telling you, I want to know what time he wakes up in the morning. I want to meet his staff and figure out what type of team he has around him. I want to know what his schedule is like, what his prayer life is like, how does he prepare his messages? How does he manage his fine? Like, I want to know everything there is to know about him or her and apply those things to my life. So, it, you know, a lot of people bash social media and they've demonized comparison. And they're like, man, you shouldn't compare yourself to other people. Well, comparison has been almost 100% of where all of my growth has come from. I've just found people that are better than me, learned everything that I can learn about why they're winning and apply it to my life. Wow, I love that. And so you're coming in and you're looking for the details. That's something people could miss. You're you're looking at when when they're when they're what their prayer time looks like, digging in what they're doing with their family, what time they're waking up. You're coming with specific questions and stuff. It sounds like to pick their brain and to pull yeah. things, you know, out of that process. And then all of a sudden, from year seven to year ten, you 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 go from seven hundred people to four thousand, you know, people. What it would look like overnight, you know, in yeah. in that journey of like, man, all of a sudden you you just must have woke up one day and it looks beautiful and it looks sexy and you're popular and everybody's listening to your messages, but they missed all that, that, that process, that struggle, that grind, that, that self-improvement, the self-doubt of, of there's this moment where you didn't grow, you know, for a little while and you hit that place where, and that's where most people jump off. That's the ship. Most. That's the separator. That's where most people have to go through that and people start to jump off. And, and so you're thinking, man, is this for me? Is it me? Am I cut out for this? You know, should I quit this? What did, what did you do other than, it sounds like you re, just reattach and check yourself on, on your mission. Any, any, any advice to people when they hit that moment in building something that you're going to have those moments. You're going to have those moments. If you're building something where you start to have that struggle, you start to have that, that question on on yourself or you don't have the growth or the performance that you want immediately in that moment. What, what, what did you do to talk yourself into the next phase and out of quitting in anything that we could give to people out there on the grind? Yeah. So I'm gonna make you laugh. Uh, I did play football, uh, it was middle school, but uh, who's counting, right? <laughs> but, man, every time my coach would get ticked off, he'd be like, man, take a lap and run until I remember you exist. So, man, sometimes we were running for like an hour straight. And in that, I learned, like, you know, you're going to get the cramps, you're going to be in pain, all that other good stuff. So you could either stop, get yelled at, and have to do push-ups, or you could just turn your brain off 
and just put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving. And I think in those seasons when life isn't going as fast as you want it to go, when you're not winning the way you wanted to win, I've learned kind of just turn your brain off and just dominate the next day. Don't worry about, you know, the year end goal. Don't worry about the end of the month goal. Let me just dominate Tuesday. And if I could dominate Tuesday, go home, go to sleep, wake up and dominate Wednesday and not really think too much, but just give it a hundred percent and then go to sleep and do it all over again. You'll step back and you'll realize, wait, I am making progress. It may not be the progress that I want to make, but I'm moving this ball down the field. And what I've learned the hard way is you dominate every day. You will get to the day where that thing grows by 10 times in one week. Like you'll, you'll get to the exponential growth if you just focus on the incremental win after win after win. Mm. Fire. I got a lot of young people in, in, uh, in our organization. And, and I try to tell them, you know, now that I've been at it for 16 years uh, about the, the process, the, the, it may take you a few years to, to have that pop to 4,500 people in your church or 45 people on your team. What advice would, would you give to young people out there listening that are on the hustle, on the grind, building something, specifically the young folks, young people, what advice would you give to those people building something? I would say two things. One, well, three. One is you got to work. Like, it, it, it's, it's not that deep. Like, you got to work. Right. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times, you know, a lot of my analogies are sports. But you'll look at a LeBron, a Kobe, a Tom Brady. Yeah, let me tell you this about Tom Brady. So he wins his first Super Bowl. And I don't know if you all know the Tom Brady story. He comes off the bench, taking over from Drew Bledsoe. You know, Drew Bledsoe never gets his job back. Tom's in there. Tom wins his first Super Bowl. They go to Disneyland, have the parade and all that. The day after Disneyland, Tom Brady's at a high school in Florida practicing on the field two days after he just won the Super Bowl. Mm. And they're like, reporters find out, they go out there, they're like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you not celebrating? Why are you practicing? He said, man, I missed two passes in the Super Bowl. And if I had hit those passes, the game would have been that close. I got to get better. Sometimes we see people's talent and we don't realize that even though they're talented, they have a work ethic that passes everybody else. Like you just don't get past the fact of, man, I'm going to have to work if I'm going to be able to take hold of that, which I want. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you got to have a vision of where you want to go. Vision of the business you want to build, the marriage that you want to have, the life that you want, and keep that vision in front of you. It may be pictures on the wall. It may be that the friends you keep have the same vision that you have, so you're constantly talking about it. But you got to keep your eyes locked on why you're going through the pain that you're going through. Because, hey, to be successful, you're going to go through pain. But a lot of people lose their why. And when you lose the why to your pain, you are going to give up on that pain as mm. quickly as possible. Here's something that a lot of people don't think about. It's a marathon, not a sprint. A lot of people can endure pain. They can grind for three months, for six months. Try three years or six years. And if you're going to grind that long, 
you're going to have to learn how to step back and how to breathe and how to relax and how to enjoy life. And Hey, I'm a work Monday through Friday, but Friday night, I'm going to go hang out with some friends. We're going to laugh. We're going to have a great meal. We're going to enjoy. I'm going to get my mind off of things. So when I come back to it, I'm fresh. A lot of people, they either have no work ethic or they're workaholics and they don't know how to spend time with family, how to work out, how to take care of themselves mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. And then they burn out and they get really kind of unhealthy on the inside. And then they're not able to finish the race. So really, I, I heard this, this kind of thought. You got that boxer who punches himself out in the first round. He's just swinging for defensive. Next thing you know, he has nothing left in the tank and he's done by the third round. Then you have that boxer who's a little bit more strategic. He's looking for his openings. He's looking for his moments. He's looking for when I'm going to give you that flurry. And then I'm going to have that moment where I'm going to step back and kind of ease back a little bit. That's kind of what the grind is. You're not grinding 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You got to have that strategy of, I know when I got to put those 12 hour days in and I know when I just need to close my computer and go to bed and I'm going to start again tomorrow. Mm. Wisdom right there. I got a bunch of those little nuggets you threw out that I want to break down. So you, you mentioned a vision of what marriage you want to have. You mentioned starting a church. You, you weren't married, and now you're currently married and have a beautiful family. New new child was born, and uh, it's been yeah. amazing to see what you and Zai have, have built. What 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 advice would you give for for people overall, men in in their marriage? You know, what advice, yeah. marital advice, would you give to to the male listeners out there? So here's a big deal that people don't realize. And you know, I'm a pastor, so I'm always going to come from God's word. Next to giving your life to Jesus, who you marry is the number one factor to your success. I don't care how gifted and what work ethic you have. If you marry the wrong person, it will all be destroyed. Mm. Now, if you marry the right person, they will make you 10 times better than you could ever be by yourself. Wow. And I think male and female, especially, you know, we're, we're grinders. We love to win. We love to build businesses and churches and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes we get so consumed in what we're building that we don't spend the right attention on our relationships, understanding that they play as much a factor as anything else. So I, I, my advice would be, hey, it's the biggest decision you're going to make. And if you make it right, it's going to be the factor to your success. And Amen. if you don't, it's going to be the factor to your failure. You, you mentioned, you know, looking at it as a marathon versus just a sprint and, and knowing when you need to go seven days a week, when you need to grind and when you need to pull back. How have you learned to keep balance, you know, as a father and as a husband and as a pastor? You know, you wear a lot of a lot of hats, you know. How yeah. have you learned to find that rhythm and how did you learn in the process? Because, you know, right now, even though you're, you're building, you're expanding, you, you got, you're moving, you got a new house coming up, you got a new church coming up. So you're still hustling. You're, you're still grinding, yes. but also it's probably looks different. The grind that you're focused on right now looks different now than it did probably 10 years ago, eight years oh, ago. Yeah. And a pastor could look at you right now if they're trying to look at you and say, I want to be where Pastor Stephen Chandler's at. And they look at your life now and they think, man, I should have that overnight. There was some other sacrifices and, and grind that, that needed to happen. How did you keep the balance in the beginning? How do you keep it 
now? Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest factors is I married a woman who was called to the grind. She and, and married and a woman a, called to the grind. That's my girl right there. That's my type of girl. <laughs> so that was a bit. I was not going to marry a girl who didn't love the church. And I wasn't going to marry a girl who didn't love building because she was going to complain for the whole journey. <laughs> Come on. So I think the real with us right now. That's the truth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you marry someone that just wants to live a good life, but they don't want to work. My goodness, you, you're going to be miserable. So what happens is when I'm exhausted, Zaya is the one who's pushing it. And then when she's exhausted, I'm the one who's pushing it. And when I'm out there running, she's home with the kids, loving on them, encouraging them. And she'll say, hey, man, Roman needs a little bit more of your attention. Can you take him out and just spend some time with him? Or, man, Zoe just had a great, you know, report at school. Can you get her a gift on the way home or whatever it may be? So it's that teamwork where because she appreciates what I'm doing, she's watching my back and seeing my blind spots and helping me be present in the home instead of resenting me because I'm out, you know, neglecting the family or whatever, which someone who's not called to do what we do would say that same thing. And then I'm also able to say, okay, babe, no, I'll stay home with the kids. You go home and preach. You go out and preach at that church or you go to this meeting or whatever. So really it's that teamwork and us being able to watch each other's backs that helps us to be present in the places that we need to be present and not have this resentment of, man, they're always gone or they're never helping me out or whatever it may be. So you you and your spouse having a unified vision on what your family is called to do and what your family is called to build is a big, big factor. I'll give you one more, and this is me being a pastor. So you got 10 commandments. Most people know them. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't use God's name as a customer and all that other good stuff. One of the Ten Commandments is honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And that means that there needs to be one day out of the week that you're not working, that you're resting. Now, I know I'm talking to business folks, and I'm a pastor, so I'm stepping on some toes and all that other good stuff. But I've kept that commandment as religiously as I keep don't kill. So for me... I'm going to hustle and grind for six days out of the week. And there's going to be one day where I'm forcing myself. I'm not checking emails. I'm not sending reports. I'm not trying to get this done. I'm not, this is my recovery day. This is my family day. And surprisingly enough, it's not Sunday because I work on Sundays. (laughs) I'm preaching. I'm in meetings and all that. So I have one day a week. I go on date night. I spend time with my kids. I'll play golf. This is just my breathe day. And then the other six days we're running back to the grind. What, what, what sacrifices have you made uh, building, building the church, you know, to, to where it is today? You know, it looks, it looks beautiful, you know, for, and I didn't really go all the way in, but as you guys, I, I want you to check out my friend, Steven Chandler's stuff. He got an unbelievable podcast, uh, check into his church. I mean, his messages are fire. I steal some of his stuff. I'm using use him in some of our meetings. So you <laughs> might catch me spitting some fire and say, I know that ain't yours no more. And I was getting all the credit for, for his juice, but just absolute <laughs> fire is beautiful to watch what you've built. It's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see what you've built because you're so young and, and uh, just now really 
uh, scratching the surface of, of what God has called for you and anybody around you can, can feel that and, and, and know that man about you. It, it, but it, people could look at it and, and think that it, it just looks easy. Even the day that, you know, that day that, that I was there, I mean, it was slam packed. I know what it's like. And, and, uh, man, you just, you got a nice rhythm too. You got great people around you and, and it, it looks easy, but we know it's not easy. What, what, what were some of the sacrifices that, that you've made early on and that you maybe now continue to make in order to take the, the church and take people to the next level? I'll give you a couple and, and things that people don't think pastors should talk about, but that's okay. I don't care. Uh, one of the biggest sacrifices was financially. Um, first three, five, seven <laughs> years of the church, uh, my income was not what I wanted it to be in terms of the life that I wanted to provide for my family. And it was intentional. I don't set my own salary. I have a board of trustees that set my salary but I can tell them, Hey, don't make it above this. And I intentionally said, Hey, I don't want to take a lot of resources out of the church in the beginning. Cause I want to use that money for marketing. I want to use that money to connect with new people. I want to use that money to grow this thing. And if we will sacrifice in the beginning and reinvest to impact people's lives, the harvest on the backside is going to be crazy. And I mean, at this point, book deals coming in and all this other kind of stuff is getting crazy now, but I see so many people, they want to live like a King in year one. Preach, <laughs> Come on, preach, teach. And I'm like, no, man, that's not the time to, to be flossing and living like a King and balling out and all of the good stuff. That's the time to reinvest into your dream and to make sure that it becomes what you, you, you want it to become. And then after you're sure this thing's going to run for the next 25 years, then you can enjoy the fruits of life a little bit more. So that's one sacrifice. The second really big sacrifice is you got to give up people's opinion of you. Mm. You're not going to be successful and you're not going to be a great leader and be a people pleaser at the same time. The reality is if you're a leader, you see things that other people cannot see. So they're going to call you crazy. They're going to call you unreasonable. They're going to call you, you know, overbearing. You're too intense or whatever it may be. And I see so many people that they're paralyzed by the opinion of other people. And hear me, bro. When I started this church 10 years ago, zero of my friends would come to this church. They're just like, nah, you're too young. It ain't going to work. Blah, 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 blah. All this other good stuff. Fast forward 10 years. They're here at the church with their wife and their kids and all that other good stuff. And if you live your life based on what people tell you, you can or you cannot do, you will be paralyzed and not move forward. So you got to be okay with people laughing at you or people not celebrating you or whatever else it may be. Wow. Two huge nuggets that apply in, in, in so many different, different arenas, you know, the, the upfront sacrifice and reinvestment in, in no matter what it is that you're trying to uh, search out greatness for is, is huge. And that, I think that's a, that's another big one. I think so many people allow their dreams to, to be let go because they're, they're waiting for other people's approval. And, and, yeah. and the, as soon as they, like you said, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be told that you're crazy. Anybody that goes outside of the, the norm and goes to accomplish anything great people from the outside looking in 
look at them like they're they're crazy. All the main inventions and a lot of the great things that have been accomplished for happened by by crazy people. What people thought were were crazy people, and it's not easy to learn to to block out that noise. And even though you're such a good good person, man, you're you're, you're a great person, and, and your mission is is great. I'm sure even the pastor has to have a couple critics and and uh, and a couple haters, you know. Oh yeah. How have you been able to handle the the critics or the hate? Have you had any haters or, or critics? Or am I? Just, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm just making oh from day one. From day one, I mean, listen, you're not going to do anything great without people hating on you. It, it's just that ah oh, man, stuff you can't say as a pastor, but that's all right. The average person sucks, and they want you to live. <laughs> Come on. And they, they want you to be just like them. And the second you dare to want more out of life than they do, you, you're a sellout. Who do you think you are? And, you know, blah, 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 blah. Here's a principle that I've lived my life on. I will not address or acknowledge or fight anybody that cannot keep me from my next goal. If you're just talking but you're not. Wow, standing. that's fire! Wait, rewind that one for me, <laughs> man. Go ahead, get because there's there, that that alone right there is 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 huge. Say that one more time. I will not fight, acknowledge, or even deal with any hater or any opposition that cannot block me from my next goal. Powerful, because time is precious, and the time that I take to acknowledge your foolishness is time that I'm losing investing in my family or investing in my dream. I don't got time to respond to your comments on Instagram. I don't got time to email you back. <clears throat> Come on now. I'm sure you've had a couple friends from your past. Man, we need, to, we need to grab lunch and clear the air. No, I'm not grabbing lunch with you. The air is clear. I'm breathing just fine. I don't got time to meet with you. I'm, you, you know what I mean? It, it's a sideways energy and it's a detour. And I find so many people fighting battles that don't have anything to do with the dream that they have. Mm. So if you're not standing between me and what God's called me to do, I'm not dealing with you. Now, if you are standing between me and what God has called me to do, you are going to get every ounce of Stephen Chandler coming at you at a velocity you can't even comprehend. I do need to clarify because I am a pastor. I do not throw hands. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to cuss you out. I'm going to stay within the laws of our country. But I tell you right now, I'm sending every attorney, everything I can at you uh, because you are not about to block me from what God has for me. Mm, powerful, so, man. Not that you don't fight, powerful. but pick your battles. A lot of people don't pick their battles. Makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. A lot of juice in there. I'm, I'm learning as we go here, too. Um, <laughs> let, let me, let me ask you, you know, our relationship started, I, I was lucky to meet you, uh, at a John Maxwell conference and, and event. And since then the relationship has, has grown. Yeah. Um, I believe it was in, was that, was that what the one in London where we met or was it the one in Florida? No, man, I'm not lucky enough Florida. to go to London with y'all. It was a four lot of West Palm or four lot of West Palm. Yep. Yep. So, so Maxwell is, but you've spent a lot of time with, with Maxwell, um, what, what would you say is one or two things that you've learned, uh, from, from Maxwell that you think has made a huge difference, you know, in your leadership level? 
I think the first thing is the power. He'll, he'll, he uses this phrase, the power of compounding consistency. Mm. So we all know how investment works. You put money in investment accounts, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, whatever. In the beginning, it's a small amount. In the end, your money is doubling almost every five to seven years, but it took time for it to get to the place where it's doubling. And what he said was, he said, at the age of 25, I committed to getting better every single day. He said, I'm just going to get better every single day. And he said, from 25 to 50, I was getting better, but nobody was able to see it. Then he said, from 50 to 75, all of a sudden, everybody saw all that I had put into me the 25 years prior. And he said, so many people, they're just not consistent in the every single day. I'm just going to get better, just get better, just get better. And it's like rolling a boulder up a hill. At some point, you get to the top of it, and it comes flying down. And so he, he said this. He said, when you're young, people think that you're worse than you actually are because you don't have the momentum of consistency. But he said, when you get to a certain level, people think you're better than you actually are because you've had all that consistency that's racking up behind you. So I think really just being committed to getting better every single day and being able to see him live that out probably was the greatest impact on my life. The second thing is what he just said here in Nashville where we were down there. And he said, say yes, tell the world, and then figure it out. And he said, so many people right up your alley so right there. Much. That's right up your alley. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He said, so many people waste so much time playing life safe and having to have it all figured out. And, man, I don't want to make a mistake. And he's like, man, forget making this mistake. Fail forward. Just say yes. Tell everybody you're going to do it. And then go figure it out. And you know me. I just love that risk-taking I'm going to jump and then figure out if I got a parachute on. Like, let's just go for it, man. Life is short. So make the most of it. Why do you think Why do you think so many people don't make that commitment to consistently get better, to roll that boulder, you know, the 25-year the, the process to become an overnight, you know, success? What do you, what do you think stops folks that, that have the potential and ability to, to, to be great. They have greatness in them and within them and, and, and they're called even to do something, but they, but they give up on that journey somewhere in the, in the day-to-day -day process, the day-to-day -day grind of getting better. What, why do you think that is, or what do you think people could do to switch the way that they're looking at what they're looking at to bring it out of them? I would say two things. One's the problem and one's the solution. The problem is they don't have a vision for their life. And the solution is they don't have the right mentors. Like if you've never seen somebody be consistent and grind, then you have no concept of what it looks like. And I, I think for me, the life that I live is because of the life I've seen my mentors live. And, and I've, oh, that's what greatness looks like. Oh, that's what greatness does. Oh, that's how, that's how they approach every single day. And I'm not even gonna lie to you. There was a season in my life, bro, like up until probably about 20 to 21, I wasn't a bum, but I was probably just left of one. 
Like, I mean, no work ethic. No, I was just, what's the easiest way I can get by? Look at, I mean, I, I, I was not a hustler whatsoever. But then I started seeing people that I wanted to be like. And I started to look at their life and I saw this huge gap between how they lived and how I lived. And I started the process of closing that gap. And I think so many people, they just don't have a vision of what their life can be. They don't have a vision for greatness and they don't have a vision of, Hey, I know someone who's consistently excellent. Like John Maxwell will say that John Maxwell's father, if I'm not mistaken, was the chancellor of a university. Like this man ran an entire college and he saw his dad consistently be great every single day. And he's walking in those footsteps. And not all of us have a dad like that or whatever it may be, but between podcasts and YouTube and all this other kind of stuff, we have access to great people mm. and we need to be intentional about connecting ourselves so we can see what greatness looks like. It sounds like, you know, and that's, that's encouraging to people to hear Hey, 19 to 21. I was kind of looking for the easy route and, and wasn't a hustler. Cause you're a hustler. Now you're a grinder now and you're all over the place and you've accomplished so much and such really a, a little short period of time. But a couple times you've alluded to finding someone that was where you wanted to be, studying that, breaking it down, and then adopting some of those habits that that would help you turn out the way that you you know the the, the way that you wanted to turn out. So it sounds yeah. like that was a, a very important part of of your journey was finding someone that was where you wanted to be. But then it seems like you took it a step a little bit further than just finding someone and looking up to them and say, oh, man, I like that. But it sounds like you were always digging deep to find out what were their habits, what were the things that they were doing in order to notice and have the wisdom to apply those things a little bit to your life. Would Is that true? I would say that has been the greatest factor. Different people around me, they may they may disagree. I don't think that I am the most gifted, like uniquely gifted person you'll ever meet. But what I am is I know how to learn what I don't know. I know how to find the person who knows something that I don't know. I know how to get out of them what I want. And for a lot of people, they want to know what someone does. I don't just want to know what you do. I want to know why you do it because I may not be able to do what you do. Cause I may not have the same skill set. You may be in a different industry than me. You may have different resources or different opportunity. So I may not be able to mimic the exact what you're doing, but if I know why you're doing it, I can apply that principle to my life and I may have to tailor it a little bit for my skill set and my resources and all that. But if I know your why, I can implement that in my life. So I'm looking for people's principles, not just their practices, their why, not just their what. Mm, I love it. I love it, man. Thank you for sharing all this wisdom and sharing all this juice. You, you, you were mentioning that, you know, now we, it may not be your father. It may not be your neighbor. It may not be a direct person that's right in front of you, but we have access to different people via podcast books and YouTube and things like that. I, I want to make sure that, that people get exposed to my friend, to, to you. I, I want more people to, 
to follow you and, and learn from you because I know how much you're going to impact their life. How would people find you or connect with you on all your platforms that you're on and see some of your messages and, and what you got going on? Good deal. I'm a preacher, so I'm not going to answer your question. Before I get to that, I just want to say, Simon, man, you inspire me. I'm grateful to be your friend. And I know you know this, but dude, you are a unicorn. You're one in a million. And anybody who's connected to you and gets to watch your life, man, I've learned so much from just being around you. I can't even, I can't even thank you enough. So grateful, grateful for you. But um, theunionchurch.com is where they can connect with the church. Stephen R. Chandler, that's Stephen with a P-H. Don't worry what Steph Curry says. It's Stephen with a P-H. Stephen R. Chandler uh, is Instagram, stephenrchandler.com. You can catch me on there. And then literally just Google Stephen Chandler and it'll, it'll pop up. Love it. And you're and he's verified. The young folks, this is a big deal. You got the blue check mark on Instagram, <laughs> y'all. You got to go follow my man. He's the real deal. He's a celebrity over there. And speaking of, speaking of which and verified, I want to verify that pretty soon coming up, we have your team versus my team. We got we got we got the Ravens coming up versus the Browns, and I want to make a friendly friendly wager with you. Even though I'm an I'm an underdog, every Browns ain't Browns ain't supposed to win supposed to win this, but I'd like to bet you dinner and uh, and ten pushups on on the Browns if you would take that take that friendly wager, my friend. What do you think? Sounds soft. Dinner and a hundred pushups. Dinner and a hundred pushups. Okay, you heard it here first, ladies and Let's gentlemen. Let's do it. All right, I love it. Looking forward to seeing you again soon, man. I, I I love you. Always appreciate any time I can have an excuse to hang out with you, man. Thanks for cutting out some time for our folks on the Grindcast. And thanks to everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Grindcast. Get ready. It's a new day. Count money, man. Money, Stack man. riches. Trying to told, told him I'm a beast, bud.